Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. That's the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. And if you're looking for where that is, if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians. Um, Galatians. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. That's the passage we're going to read, but our main focus that we're going to be unpacking is verses 16 and 17. That's what we're going to be really unpacking this morning. But for context reasons, we will read uh, most of that section. It goes as follows. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Lord, we are grateful that we were able to unpack your word this morning, that we were able to be here and that you speak powerfully. Your word is alive. We believe that. This is a very spoken words of God, and we want to trust in that this morning. Would you uh, speak directly to our hearts, shape us and mold us in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, over the last six weeks, uh, been journeying through pursuing life in the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you've missed any of those series or any of those sermons, you can catch them online. It's, uh, Gary's fantastic. He gets those sermons out early and quickly out online. Um, and if you don't know how to work that or figure that out, I'm sure he will happily sit down with you and get you there. Um, I, I, I realize that when I preach sermons that I don't remember them a week later. So I can completely understand if you forget what I preached a week later. Um, so it's a great way to even just remind yourself of what's being said. But we have started off our journey uh, discussing who the Holy Spirit is. Um, we said the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a universal energy. He is a person. He's not an experience. He's not a feeling. He's he is a person. He has his own mind. He has his own will. He has his own emotions. He is not a second-rate being. In other words, he's not just some person that comes alongside you to give you some advice or like on your phones, Google to give you uh, directions or the, the thoughts of the day. He's not that kind of a person, but rather he's divine. He's equally divine with God the Father and the Son. 
And so that means there's an extraordinary privilege. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have God himself in us, leading us and guiding us. We, on the second week, spoke about the general work of the Holy Spirit. So the, the work of the Holy Spirit in creation, all the way in the Old Testament and the New, in the life of Christ and the apostles, and we saw how he worked there. Week three, we discussed the Holy Spirit's work in salvation, particularly salvation that he has intricately been involved in you coming to know Christ. And, and the reason why we unpacked that was, well, we see the goodness of the Holy Spirit. He is good. He wanted you to come to know Jesus. He was involved in that. He loves you and he cares for you. And so we can trust him if he helps us come to know salvation. And surely he has our best interests at heart. Next week we spoke about, two weeks ago, we spoke about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we acknowledge that there's a bit of controversy around it and a bit of tension around that phrase, but it's in Scripture. And as Baptists, that means we want to know Scripture and know it well. We want to not just ignore something because some others might have different views to what we would. We want to make sure that we understand it and apply it to our lives. And so we discussed that the result of this empowering of the Spirit is power, boldness, uh, assurance of salvation, and a deep desire for more of spiritual things. And, and that is so that we might make Christ known and that we might see his kingdom grow. And so therefore we desire it, we ask for it, we want more of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And last week, Pierre preached a fantastic sermon on the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. And when we, that's exactly what sanctification is. It's, it's becoming more holy or becoming more like Christ. And we spoke about some practices and some principles around that. And well, this morning, we're going to close off this series and we'll be moving on next week. But we're going to look at how to, as Galatians would say, walk by the Spirit or in, in other words, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, there needs to be some clarification here um, on what we've taught. When we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's some dangers in which we uh, would, if we, we could fall into, which would cast this out the, side, out the way. And the first would be that we would think um, that we can't live for God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the empowering of the Spirit. And that's just not true. Remember, when you come to know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. He comes and he resides in you so that you might live a life for Jesus. A, a great example of this is actually seen in Exodus. We know the story of um, the Egyptians uh, enslaving Israel. And they're enslaved by Israel. Pharaoh um, takes away their rights as humans and makes them slaves so they, they might do work for him because he's scared they might uh, rise up against Egypt and take control of them. And so he enslaves them. But they still continue to grow in number. So he gets even worse and he decides, well, how can I stop them becoming a powerful nation? Well, I'm going to kill their newborn sons. And so he tries to do that at birth, gets the midwives to do it. They refuse to do that. And so what happens is he decides to throw the baby, the newborn baby boys into the Nile River. Absolutely atrocious. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And the people of Israel undoubtedly cry out to God and ask for help. 
And so God hears them, he sees them, he knows their affliction, and so what he does is he rises up a leader named Moses. And we know the story with the ten plagues, and God sends ten plagues, and each time he sends a plague, Moses will say, let my people go, and Pharaoh will say, okay, but then change his mind. At the last minute, no, once the plague has gone and he changes his mind, he won't let them go. Until the tenth one, where God says to them, I am going to send an angel of death, and he's going to come and he's going to kill every firstborn, from animal to child to uh, a whole lot more things. I'm going, to, I'm going to kill each firstborn. And if you do not do what I ask you to do, and that is to kill a, a newborn lamb and cover it on your door uh, posts, then this will happen to you. But if you do that, if you follow this rule and you do that, the angel of death will pass over you and you will be spared. And this is a, a, a picture of what happens. But God says to them, you will know when it's happened because there'll be so much mourning. And when you know that it's happened, you must have your staff ready. You must have your backpack and belongings ready to go. Your animals raring to go. Your food ready to go. Cooked unleavened bread. In other words, make it real quick. <laughs> and so it doesn't have to take a long time. You can just do it on the braai. Make sure that that's ready to go. And when it happens, leave. There is an action that takes place immediately after the angel of death has passed over and they are spared. Now, what you've got to realize is that this is a foreshadowing of what Christ did for us. You, you notice that while Egypt enslaved Israel and they were enslaved by Egypt, so we are enslaved by sin. And we've got a bigger enemy, far greater than Egypt, and we are enslaved by sin. And yet we were, our punishment was coming along, and that was too was going to be death, but not just physical death, but eternal death. But thank God, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, we are covered, and so we no longer will die eternally because of what Jesus has done. Do you understand that? And just as we have been covered by the blood of Christ and we have been set free, man, we need to have our staffs ready, our backpacks ready. There's a work for us to do immediately as we come to know Christ. And so we must not think that there is no work for us to do. There is a work and we must do it. And the second thing that we must be aware of is that we must not assume that once we receive this empowerment of the Spirit, that we would not struggle with sin my friends, you will still struggle with sin. It happens. We will still fight it. The James 4 verse 1 says there's a war raging within us as we fight this long fight of sin. And so you must be aware of that. There might be this high of the empowerment of the Spirit, this joy that comes with it, but the normal life will kick in at a point and you will realize that sin is still your enemy and you still need to fight it. But what does Paul talk about here and mean when he say, says, let us walk by the Spirit? Well, the word walk is such a beautifully descriptive image, and it can tell us a lot about what Paul means. Walking this morning, pretty much every single one of us here walked. Whether it was easily or difficultly, we walked this morning. We got out of bed, and we walked. We walked to the fridge, we walked to the bathroom, we walked to our cars, we walked to church, we walked inside the church. It is part of our everyday aspect. And so when Paul talks about walking by the Spirit, he means we need to do so in every aspect of our lives. 
From the most mundane things to the most uh, exciting things, there is a need to walk by the Spirit. To, to what, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. And we need to do so, even in eating and drinking, walking by the Spirit. So it's a simple everyday aspect. It's also something we must do. It's not just this idea. Pierre spoke about this a bit last week. The Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification in us, but there is aspects in which we need to respond to. For example, the Holy Spirit can come to me and say, Joe, do not do what you're about to do. He warns me, and I've got a choice. Do I want to do it, or don't I want to do it? He says, go and do something. I have a choice. Am I going to be obedient, or am I not going to be obedient? He highlights something in Scripture which I haven't seen before that convicts my heart. Again, I have a choice on whether I'm going to do something or whether I'm not going to do something. Remember, there is an action involved in walking with the Spirit. You have to pick up your legs and move in a very similar way when it comes to walking day by day by the power of the Spirit. We have to do something. Now, God is gracious and there are times in our lives where he does sanctify us without us even knowing. But he, most of the times he brings us to the water and the rest of the time we have to make sure we drink it as a result. Does that make sense? We must do this thing. Secondly, or thirdly, it also implies that it's going to take some time. Walking takes time. It's not running, but it takes time. I often... Uh, Ask the Lord, Lord, why am I still struggling with the same sin I was struggling with five years ago? Why is this still a problem? I, surely I should be better than this. And I, Lord, why? Why is this taking so, so long? And I sometimes feel like he looks at me and goes, Joe, why is this taking so long? It's this time, it's just a slow process. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's one degree, and then another degree, and then another degree. But it's not the silver bullet type thing that just makes us perfect and holy in an instant. Oh man, that would be great, but it's just not like that. But walking also assumes perseverance. When we walk, we can walk at a pace that's comfortable and we can go and keep on going. I could ask all of us just now after the service to line up and see how far we can run. Different, some of us further than others, some of us just up the road, some of us all the way down Settler's Way, but there would be a point where we would have to stop because we get tired. But if I asked us to walk, we would walk further. It might take us longer, but there would be more distance covered because we just have more energy and we can go more comfortably. There is a perseverance, a a persistence that takes place. And lastly, it also implies that it's just ordinary. Absolutely ordinary. There is an ordinary thing about this. There's not the glitz and the glamour. There's not this amazingness. It's just ordinary. And we can walk by the Spirit in the ordinary. And that's comforting. To know that the Spirit is with us even in the mundane even when no one else is there, even when you're sitting behind your computer desk at work or, or sitting at home having that cup of tea or whatever the case might be, He is there with us and we can walk by the power of the Spirit. And you'll find that this is a great battle, as I've already said. Paul talks about in this passage that it's flesh versus spirit. It's one is pulling you this way and the other is pulling you this way. 
and it's this battle that rages within you. You don't want to do it, but you want to do it. The Spirit is saying, don't do it, but you really feel that it would be nice if you could do that. Man, I would love to let that person know my opinion on this matter. The Spirit is saying, keep quiet, but it feels so good when I open my mouth. Oh man, there's this war that rages. It's something that fights within us. So what do we mean by flesh? Because there's, there's, there's some people that have misunderstood this. There's this hyper-grace movement that would argue that what Paul is speaking about here is just physical body. So the physical body is bad, but inwardly, guys, you are righteous and holy and perfect, and you can do whatever you like. It doesn't matter. You can live the life as you please and you want, and that church is not what Paul is speaking about here. When he talks about flesh, he's not talking about a physical body. The Greek word means your nature. The very inner being that makes you who you are. It is off. It is bad. And that very nature, your very being of who you are, fights against the spirit. It manifests itself. It shows itself in some, design, in some ways. And Artie Kendall says there's three ways in which it rears its ugly head. The first way is it's self-centered. It's all about me, 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 me. And self-centeredness results in ugliness. It can result in mean-heartedness. And maybe even worse, it can result in indifference to what others are like and other people's situation. And this is essentially pride, which each and every single one of us struggle with. We, we want to worry about ourselves rather than about God and about others. It's about my situation, what I receive when I want it. C.S. Lewis says that the way you can often tell if you're prideful is when somebody else says you're prideful and you get cross because how dare they say that. It's usually your pride that gets hurt. Or you're at a party and somebody else is the center of the room and they're making jokes and everyone's laughing. And you can see they're just trying to steal the limelight and you're upset about it. C.S. Lewis says it's often because your pride wished it was the center of the room. It would get all of it. And man, this is something we all struggle with. If there's a sin that every human battles with, it is pride. It's our ego. It's essentially what Frank Sinatra would sing, I did it my way. Now you're good luck, you can have that song stuck in your head the whole day. But it's essentially, I did it my way. That's one of the ways this flesh shows itself in. It also shows, shows itself in worldly pleasures, uh, desiring things. And this often takes good things and makes it bad. God-given things and takes it further than it wants. So, for example, food. Man, food is good. God gave us taste buds to enjoy it. We need it to sustain ourselves. Food is a human need. We need it, and it is given by God by His grace. But man, in our sinfulness, we can make it an idol. We eat too much. We become gluttons, which is essentially a sin. We can take something that's natural and want it. I am horrible at this, so I'm going to tell you that now. When I go to a restaurant and there's baked cheesecake on the menu, man, I am eating it. No matter how full I am, I am ordering myself baked cheesecake. We tend to do that. Christmas dinner is what we do. We all lie on the couch after Christmas dinner with our food pregnancies as we lie there. Oh, I ate too much. Why did I do that? We have this tendency to take something good and make it bad. We see this with money. Money itself is not bad. It's the love of money that's bad. It's, it's, and this is not a poor person thing or a rich person thing. This is a human thing. 
Money for all of us is a different trap. And we can know that we struggle with money and we make it an idol if it is your confidence, if it is where your security is. If you feel, I am secure because my bank account is okay, then we struggle with it because your confidence should not lie in money, it should lie in God. And so if you've got lots of money and you've got investments in overseas shore and Ramaphosa decides to fire a uh, finance minister and suddenly the stock drops and you lose tons of money, do you lose sleep at night? Because if you do, your confidence is in your money, not in God. Or if you're poor and you just wish, man, if I could just earn that much, then life would be better. Money is so quick. It's fine. We find our confidence and we can also find a confidence in sex. And, and we take something that's good. Man, we live in a sex-crazed world at the moment. We take something that's meant to be good for biblical heterosexual marriage and we take it and make it into something in which it is not. That's why we have the sexual revolution at the moment. It is going to be the biggest thing that we as a church in my generation have to fight against. And our biggest opposition, it is where the world is going. We take something that's good and we make it our own. Worldly pleasures can show, that's where the flesh starts to show itself in. It also shows itself, lastly, under unbelief. Unbelief. This is to take the good commands of God and rationalize it away. Where God has said, do not do this in this situation, or do do this. And we go, hmm. And we use our logic and our rational and our situation explained away. Let me give you an example. I have a number of family members who uh, live with their girlfriends or boyfriends. And, they, and when you ask them, are you Christian? They'll say yes. And they're like, well, how can you be living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? And their logical answer will be, man, because we love each other. We really mean the world to each other. So why wait for marriage? And, and, and if, man, we save it on rent. Money is cheaper to live together. It is. It is. Logically, it just is because you get to save on rent, you get to save on food. And we go and we explain the rationale of what God has asked us to do away. We come with our rationale. And ultimately, church, it is a lack of faith. It is a lack of faith. Because God has gone to say that this is the best situation and how it should be done. And we go and rational it away. We go, God, you've got it wrong for my situation. But to trust in him and go, this might seem right for us, but rather God has said it is better elsewhere. We're going to trust in him that he knows best, that the God of all creation who controls the universe knows best. When we put it like that, it seems silly that we would suggest another way. We see this with frustration and anger, getting cross with someone, and we need to tell them that they're wrong. How dare they do that to me? Let me seek my revenge. And we don't listen to God when he says, forgive them and vengeance is mine. We need to make sure that we do this right. And may I say that we need to, walking by the Spirit is not walking by feelings. Walking by the Spirit is not walking by feelings. The world at the moment argue that we do not need a higher being to tell us how to live morally. Why? They go, well, because the truth is in us. Man, all we have to do is look deeply within ourselves and we will find truth. We will find how to live life. Our feelings will guide us along the way. Utter rubbish. Utter rubbish. Man, I can tell you why. Because your feelings contradict one another. I would love a six-pack, but I also love ice cream. 
I really want to eat ice cream, but I really want to look good physically. Oh, my feelings themselves contradict each other. Our feelings cannot lead us to truth, church. Your feelings are deceptive. Just because it might feel right, just because you feel it is the right decision for this moment, for your situation, do not trust them. It is deceptive. The flesh is always off. Go to God, for He has the answers. Nowhere else. Don't trust your guts. Don't trust your feelings, because that is not the way to go. Because everything of the flesh is opposite to the Spirit. There is nothing of the flesh that the Spirit agrees with. Make sure you run away from it. So what's the nature of the Spirit then? What does Paul talk about that? Well, the Spirit can produce in us some powerful desires as well. And some of you have been Christian for a really long time. And this is, this is great because the Spirit has done some work in you. And there are some real good desires and feelings you have by the grace of God have been given to you by the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit works in us and helps us to become godly. And what happens is, as we walk by the Spirit, we start to identify with the Spirit more and more. We start to become more like Him. So there's a couple of things that the, the Holy Spirit is like. Remember, we've spoken about this, is that he is a person that does not, um, he is a person that does not make much of himself. He wants to make much of the Father and the Son. Remember, he's our, our paraclete, the one that, that is called alongside. It comes next to us. And as he's next to us, he comforts us, he leads us. But at the same time, what he does is he points and says, look at the Father, look at the Son. Look at Jesus. Look what he's done. He likes to do that. That's where his aim is. And in a very similar way, what the Holy Spirit does as we walk with him is we become people that don't like to make much of ourselves, but rather we want to make much of Christ, just like the Spirit does. We're not worried about our own intentions, our own desires, but rather we wanting to make much of others. And this ultimately leads us to of Christ and then as a result love others and this helps us to love because the problem with the ego and pride is that you battle to love when it's all about you but when you're able to become self-effacing like the a spirit is you're able to love well they were able to love thy neighbor as you love yourself now may I just say that there is also people that teach well in order to love your neighbor well you need to learn how to love yourself that's not how it works. The reason why Jesus is saying this is because you already love yourself brilliantly. We know naturally how to love ourselves and care for ourselves and want ourselves. We love ourselves a lot. In actual fact, he's saying, man, love less and love others. If you could do how much you love yourself, you'd be doing brilliantly. Don't go on a 10-week course on how to love yourself first. You already know how to do that. And we want to love others. That's what the Spirit makes us do. He's also very sensitive. The Holy Spirit is extremely sensitive. He, the image that's described of the Holy Spirit is one that's used is, is, is of a dove, a turtle dove coming down and resting on Jesus. And a turtle dove is a, an animal, and I just, this is pure, I am no expert in doves and pigeons, but this is purely what I've read. They are very, very sensitive to noise. They don't like loud noises. They don't like it when people are shouting. They don't like that. They like to be where it's quiet and still. A pigeon is the complete opposite. 
Man, when I drive to work on a regular basis, there's a pigeon in the road eating some bread, and I can be hooting from a mile off trying to get out of the way before I ride over it. And eventually I'm driving one kilometer, and I'm this far away from it before it moves. It doesn't matter. The noise doesn't, it's just going to eat, and then it's going to walk aside like it is the boss of the road. A turtle dove is different. And the Holy Spirit is like that. He's extremely sensitive. He's not, he's not one for the noise and the clamor. And, and I'll show you what that means now. But he's also, um, he's also faithful. And we see he comes and he remained on Jesus. That's what it said in the passage. He's going to stick with you. He's going to stay there. If it's nice and peaceful, he's going to stay there. Turtle doves have one mate. Pigeons have a number. Turtle dove sticks with one mate for his whole life. And here Christ, and here the Holy Spirit is like that. And he stays and remains and leads and he guides. Ephesians 4 verses 30 to 32 tells us how we make some noise to chase him away. And this is his done. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here it shows us some things. Let all bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor and slander uh, be away from you along with malice. When we are bitter and angry and malice and shouting and annoyed and frustrated because of what people do. If you can just imagine when we fight with others, there's noise. There's annoyance. There's anger. When those things happen, the sensitive dove flatters away, not literally, but he just takes a step back and goes, hang on a second, this is not where I want to be at the moment. And there's this need for us to make sure we notice that and repent of that. So how do we notice that? And I'll end off with this point. So how do we know when we've grieved the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing, he can lead us in a number of different ways. He can lead us audibly in the way we uh, in just letting us know, like, man, you just know when you've done something. He can lead us in an impulse. He, he can lead us through a recurring thought or scripture, a number of different ways he can show us. But the primary way in which we can tell in all situations that we have grieved the Holy Spirit is when there is a loss of inner joy, peace, and easiness with God. When you lack that joy and peace, and an easiness with God, it is probably because you have grieved the Holy Spirit. We see this in Romans 14, verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we are right with God, there is joy and peace. But man, when we get frustrated and annoyed and angry with others, and we, we, get, we hold unforgiveness in our heart, whether we feel we are right or wrong for it, whether there's bitterness, whether there's this clamor in us, man, when we slander, when we gossip, when we do anything against others, there is a grieving of the Spirit, and we lose a peace and a joy that comes with knowing God well and with the Spirit being close with us. And there's a period sometimes it takes between we notice this. Often that, that gap between doing it and realizing that you have lost this peace and joy is your big pride and ego that takes that way. And sometimes it can be a long period of days before we realize that we have done something wrong. Or it could be a moment. It can be in the moment you can realize that you can ask for forgiveness. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we come to God and ask for forgiveness. Because ultimately, we will slip up. 
We will mess up. We are humans. We struggle with the flesh regularly, daily. And so there are moments where we become weak and we mess up. And when we do that, we must make sure we ask for forgiveness. We, we see this in John, uh, 1 John uh, 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And may I suggest as well, as far as possible, make right with the person that you've got cross with. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody cuts you off in traffic and they've turned off to West Bank and you were heading off to town that you need to turn around and try to find this person and you don't know who they are. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and do better next time. Or try at the very least. Win that fight with the flesh. But if it's your spouse, man, if it's your colleague or, or family member in which you know and you can get hold of, or not even an acquaintance in which you've gotten upset with, as far as possible, make right with that person. Whether you think you are right or wrong, say sorry. Man, ask Alyssa. I have to say sorry regularly. The Spirit, I grieve him regularly. And there are times when I've even gone to Alyssa and say, love, I am so sorry I spoke with that attitude. I shouldn't have. And she goes, what? She didn't even know it. But I, you know when you were passive-aggressive? And you were, I was passively aggressive. She didn't even know I was passively aggressive. And I have to go and say sorry. And she goes, that's fine. I didn't even know. And, but the Spirit said, Joe, you need to go deal with that. And it's important that we do that. Now, again, look at two things on this. And then I'm done, I promise. One is that don't go turn over every stone in your heart. There is a danger here where we become so introspective that we're trying to make sure in every little detail of our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with introspection, but it can eat you up inside. Paul says here that the works of the flesh are evident. It shouldn't be too hard to see. Man, it might be hard for you to see, because, but you must make sure you're not trying every moment of every day. Have I grieved the Spirit? Is this wrong? And it will eat you up inside. Don't be silly. We rest in the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are sensitive and we listen. And this is the most unnatural thing that we do. This is hard. This is not easy. Asking for forgiveness or saying sorry to someone who's done you wrong is difficult. Man, going to say sorry to someone because you've been wrong is hard. Turning from a sin, particularly when it gets easy to say sorry to God, but man, when it comes to others, geez, it's difficult. It is unnatural because your nature is the flesh and the flesh does not want to do so. But I want you to know, and I want you to know this, that you can do it by the power of the Spirit. That God will never lead you into a temptation that is too difficult for you to do. Or to handle. He will never do that. And so you are able to overcome it. Oh, it's going to, it might be the most difficult thing that you have to do. But do it. And in there you'll find joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because that is what happens when the spirit is close and near. Walk like that. Pursue that daily church. We're going to pray, and then we're going to head over to communion table. I want to ask Brian, would you mind joining me? Lord, we are incredibly grateful that um, we have a God who comes and walks with us daily. Would you help us to do that, Lord? We want to experience the peace and the joy that comes with knowing you on a daily basis.
in the mundane things, in, in the things that we do daily, like shopping and fetching kids and doing all those kinds of things. We just want to know you. We want to walk with you. We want to become the men and women that you've created us to be for the glory of Christ, we pray. Pour out your spirit upon us that we might do this. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive to hear your voice. Give us the boldness and the courage and the ability to be able to respond to you positively. Help us to fight and crucify the flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.